Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Beloved in the Lord, let us draw near with a true heart and confess our sins unto God our Father, beseeching him in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to grant us forgiveness. Our help is in the name of the Lord. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Almighty God, our Maker and Redeemer, we poor sinners confess unto you that we are by nature sinful and unclean, and that we have sinned against you by thought, word, and deed. Wherefore, we flee for refuge to your infinite mercy, seeking and imploring your grace for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. O most o merciful God, who has given your only God's Son to die for us, have mercy upon us, and for his sake, grant us remission of all our sins, and by your Holy Spirit, increase in us through knowledge of you, and of your will, and through obedience to your word, to the end that by your grace we may come to everlasting life, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, has had mercy on us and has given His only Son to die for us, and for His sake forgives us all of our sins. To those who believe on His name, He gives power to become the children of God and has promised them His Holy Spirit. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. Grant this, O Lord, unto us all. Amen. The Lord watches over the soldiers, he upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my
Almighty and ever-living God, you have given exceedingly great and precious promises to those who trust in you. Grant us so firmly to believe in your Son, Jesus, that our faith may never be found wanting. Through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. The reading of the Holy Scriptures, the Old Testament reading appointed for the 23rd Sunday after Pentecost is from the book of 1 Kings, the 17th chapter. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Arise and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. And so he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and, and bring it to me, and afterward make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, The jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said, and she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Epistle reading from the letter to the Hebrews, the ninth chapter. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly, as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own, for then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it, it is appointed for a man to die once and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
we stand in respect of Christ, of whom the Holy Gospel is read. The Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the twelfth chapter. In his teaching, Jesus said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. This is the gospel of the Lord. Together now we confess our holy Christian faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.
until by His prevailing grace we stand at last before His face. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our text for today, the gospel lesson, the account of the widow, or two mites, as they are often called from the 12th chapter of St. Mark, these words in particular, and Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put, and he watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came. And she put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. This is our text, dear friends in Christ. Generally speaking, Jesus had what one might call a very prickly relationship with the scribes of the day. He was, after all, an irritant underneath the skin of the scribes, and if you would look at the whole history of the scribes, you'd quickly see that the scribes were a very thin-skinned order of people, of religious leaders in the church of the day. The bottom line was they didn't like Jesus very much. And it's not an overestimate to say that they were quite open about the fact that they really didn't like Jesus at all and considered him to be quite a threat to everything that they held to and everything that they believed in. And so throughout the Gospel of St. Mark, interestingly, we see Jesus being taken on by the scribes on so many different occasions of at least five occasions prior to our text for today. Back in Mark 3, they're insisting that Jesus must be possessed by Beelzebub, an old name that means the Lord of the Flies, the Prince of Darkness. And so they said, in essence, that Jesus must be possessed by the devil. In Mark 7, they charged him with a total disregard for the Pharisaic laws that had been put into place by the scribes and the Pharisees and their kind over the course of time because his disciples didn't ceremonially wash their hands as they were supposed to, according to the scribes. In Mark 11, they perceived Jesus to be a threat to their power and to their control. And Mark tells us in Mark 11 that, quote, they began seeking how to destroy him because they were afraid of him, unquote. And then later in that same chapter, they confront Jesus again in the temple because they were charging him as being a rebel, saying to him, by what authority do you teach and do these things? And finally in Mark 12, just before today's text, St. Mark tells us that they were, quote, seeking to seize him, but they feared the multitude. Interesting, isn't it, that the Scribes feared both Jesus and the multitude that came to him. And you know what fear is it drives people, whether it's in your own individual life or in anyone around you, what fear will do to people, having them do things that indeed are wrong. The scribes, these are men who should have known better. The scribes, the men recognized by the people as being the scholars of the law of God. Grammates, they were called. Grandma, like grammar. Men of letters. Men of title and position and honor. Nomakoi, another term that was used for them. Nomos, the word meaning law. Nomakoi then was a, a lawyer, and they were called lawyers. And sometimes in the King James Version of the Bible, you'll see them called either scholars, or you'll see them called lawyers, or you might even see them called nomadidaskaloi which in the, the Greek means nomos law, didaskaloi, meaning a teacher of or a doctor of the law. And so they're sometimes called doctors of the law in the King James Version, for example. But they were titles, titles representing a specific status that these men had in the religious society of the time. And oh, how they enjoyed that status and how they used that status in order to enrich themselves financially. Every opportunity they had, something indeed that was picked up on by Jesus in our text for today when he says, beware of the scribes who 
like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces. And then as though introducing the account of the widow in our text for today, he says to the scribes that they are those also who devour the houses of the widows. You see, it wasn't the long robes, it wasn't the greetings of honor which condemned the scribes. In fact, special attire, robes and garments to identify a specific title to designate an office ordained by God was as old as the law itself, as what God himself instituted and put into effect generations before. It wasn't the attire, it wasn't the titles that were given in respect for the office that God himself had ordained for the people of God. In fact, this is the titles and the robes and things like that were things that were continued on by the apostles of our Lord. In the early church, his specific garments and titles of respect were used to identify those who were ordained by God to represent him in the midst of his people. Robes and titles weren't the problem. The self-serving arrogance and the self-righteous attitude of those who wore the robes and those who bore those honored titles was the problem, a problem which exposed itself most readily in the fact that these scribes made no bones about the fact that they would, in fact, devour widows' houses, Jesus says. What a charge could be more damning than that, than that which Jesus says when he says that they devoured widows' houses. There's no charge that could be more damning than that, because after all, in the society of ancient Israel, widows were the most protected by Mosaic law. It was the widow, it was the orphan, protected by Mosaic law. And so the law of Moses said, Thou shalt not wrong any widow or any orphan. And King David in the 68th Psalm said it so clearly, The Lord is the father of the fatherless, and he's the defender of the widow. And as we sang earlier in the Psalm for today, the 146th, the Lord supports the way of the fatherless and the way of the widow, and he thwarts the way of the wicked. And the prophet Isaiah, loved by the scribes, which is probably in part why Jesus quoted Isaiah so often, pronounces severe condemnation on those who, quote, plunder widows and plunder orphans. Little wonder that the ancient historical record entitled Maccabees records for us that there was a temple fund, a temple fund that became resources explicitly set aside for the care and for the support of widows and orphans, a special nurturing care and responsibility that the church throughout the ages has felt for its own, reflected even in the Acts of the Apostles, wherein St. Luke tells us that the Apostles addressed one of the earliest practical problems in the fledgling church, namely, that some of the widows, remember in Acts 6, some of the widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of the food. Widows throughout the history of the church held in high esteem and honor, reflected by the Apostle Paul who writes, give special attention to the widows who are in need and honor them. Or the Apostle James who says, quote, Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress." Unquote. Through the ages and to this very day, the Christian Church through the world prays in her historic liturgy, quote, for the aged and infirmed, for the widowed and the orphaned, and for the sick and for the suffering. Unquote. Widows. Now think of widows being taken advantage of by scurrilous scribes of whom Jesus in today's gospel warns his disciples, beware. And you can be sure that they were watching Jesus closely as he spoke these words and as they heard him saying these words, you can be sure that they were watching him closely as they heard him say, we beware of the scribes, words of warning echoing throughout the temple courts, words at which the scribes must have anchored their nails into the pillars of the temple behind which they hid. Or upon the, the temple 
seats and the benches upon which they perhaps sat, sat not far at all from Jesus as they heard these words being said. There near the temple treasury, even so close to Jesus, who then, St. Mark says, watched people putting their money into the offering vessel. So picture it, the scribes around, watching Jesus close at hand or from a distance, Jesus sitting, watching the people putting money into the temple treasury. Interesting, isn't it, that the text in the back of your bulletin says that they put money into the offering box, but then you look at the picture in the front of the bulletin cover, and you have the the money being put into a a horn-like vessel. Well, the word that St. Mark uses is gatsafulakion, which means a guarded treasury, which really doesn't tell us much about the shape of the vessel into which she put her money or they put their money, but according to the Jewish Mishnah, the official teachings of Judaism compiled in the second century AD, these vessels in the court of the women in particular were, quote, 13 trumpet-shaped receptacles, 13 trumpet-shaped receptacles that stood against the wall and functioned to gather the gifts of the faithful for the temple treasury, unquote. Sounds much like the picture of what you have on your bulletin cover. Imagine the sound, the sound being made by a copious flood of coins being deposited into this narrow-necked, trumpet-shaped vessel, dozens of coins, even more being poured into this thing as it trumpeted forth their grand entrance into the guarded treasury of the Lord. As the choir sang earlier, the temple rang with golden coins, the rich and bright array contributed from gleaming hordes their scales could scarcely weigh. Get the sense of it, get the sound of it, the effect And then what was it that the choir sang? A widow came with copper coins and offered them in praise. They were the last she had to give or save for darker days. When Jesus saw her costly gift and knew that she had no more, he praised a love that spared not self and called her rich, though poor. This Poor widow, Jesus said, has put in more than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, gave everything that she had. You see, the measure of her gift wasn't so much in the number of coins that she gave. She had but two. And isn't significant that she had two because she could have kept one and given the other. But having had two, she gave both. The measure of the gift that she gave isn't in the number of coins that she gave, but is what remained after she had given. Nothing remained, for she gave both. Nothing remained because she gave her all. And do you know what that is, friends? It's not some good work that accomplished something for her. What it was was evidence of a faith that God had created in her. It's a statement of faith. It's a confession that she made. She was, by that giving it all, simply confessing that she had absolute confidence in the promises of God, faith in the God in whom she had that confidence, faith in the God in whom she had placed her trust not only for that day, but for tomorrow and the days thereafter, faith in the God who had promised so many times in the past, as we previously heard, promised that he was the father of the fatherless and the defender of the widow, the God who promised that he would not forsake nor allow to be forsaken by his church, the widow of Israel. And this woman had confidence in that. She had faith in the promises of God, the God who nearly eight centuries before this widow of Jerusalem had even set foot in the temple court had set the feet of his prophet Isaiah, as we heard in the Old Testament lesson today, on his way to a drought-stricken city of Zarephath, not to care for a widow in desperate need, but rather to be fed by a poor widow in desperate need. 
a destitute widow, a widow who had so little, nothing, remember in the Old Testament lesson, but a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug, she said. Just enough, she said, to feed herself and her son, and then they could go on and die because it wouldn't be enough for the morrow. But the prophet said to her, first, make me a little cake of that precious flour and oil as a representative of God. Make me a little cake of that precious flour and oil, and then make something for yourself and your son. For thus the Lord God of Israel says, the jar shall not be spent, and the jug shall not be empty. And that woman of Zarephath, acting in faith, found that for her household, for many days thereafter, Scripture says, the jug wasn't empty, and the flour was there at hand. Don't you think that this famous account of the prophet of God with the widow of Zarephath was on the mind of the widow of Jerusalem? As she went into the temple courts on that day, God would, she was confident because of his promises and examples in times past, God would provide for her in her need, even as he had provided for the widow of Zarephath and her. Even as he will provide for every widow who sits in this sanctuary today, and every widow in his church tomorrow. And widow or not, God will provide for all of his own because he who spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, will he not also with him, St. Paul says, freely give us all things that we need, widow or not? That's his promise. It's a promise that's signed by and a promise that's sealed with and a promise that's delivered in the blood of Jesus Christ who though he, St. Paul says, was rich yet for your sakes became poor that in his poverty you might be made rich. Isn't that what our epistle lesson today is really all about? About the widow's friend who is first and foremost the sinner's friend? The one who, the writer of Hebrews says in our the epistle for today appeared once for all at the end of the age to put away sin. How? By the sacrifice of himself. It's about Christ Jesus giving his all, his all for us. His all for us, as the choir sang about not long ago when it said, At last he, Christ, brought his offering and he laid it on a tree. There gave himself his life and his love for all humanity. The widow's wealth was not, after all, in what she gave. The widow's wealth was, in fact, in the faith that she had been given and in the object of that faith to whom she gave all because she knew and she believed that he would be giving his all for her life and her eternal salvation. And you, my friends, share her faith and you share in him the eternal wealth of this widow. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
pray for the whole Church of God in Christ Jesus and for all people according to their need. We pray. For minds and hearts enabled by the Holy Spirit to treasure above all things the gift of saving faith that we possess by the favor of our benevolent God, that regardless our station in life, we might never forget the saving work of Jesus Christ, who is the treasury of our hope, so that where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For boldness as his church to confess openly that Jesus Christ has appeared and put away the sins of all by the sacrifice of himself on the cross, we pray, so that many more may hear of and believe in this salvation, and with us eagerly wait Christ's promised return when he'll deliver to his church her promised glory. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, for humility as his people, to live in peace and quietness with his people and in the world, to avoid all pretense or spectacle of piety, that we might have in us the same mind that was in Christ Jesus, who humbled himself to the will of his Father, and for the good of us all. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For good and just government in our land, that by it the daily bread we receive might be protected from all who might illegally or godlessly seek to destroy it and take it, and that through good government we would value that through good government the value of personhood in our society might be upheld and protected, especially among the most vulnerable. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the aged and the infirm, for the widowed and the orphaned, for the sick and the suffering, that all might be protected under the shield of the Lord's mercy, and that these also, as the widow and son of Zarephath, may be replenished in strength for the day by God's promised grace sufficient. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For expectant mothers and for the newly born, that God would defend all from every ill that would endanger them, preserving them in health and safety through birth and through the rebirth of baptism and into the living of their days, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For those who mourn the death of dear ones, particularly Eric Holder and his family at the death of his Eric's aunt, and also Karen, Allfeld, and husband Steve, who continue to grieve the death of sister in Christ Ruth Allfeld, that in our time of deep sadness, we might recall that Jesus Christ is the firstborn from the dead, who will raise the bodies of the faithful departed to be like his own glorious body, and who has already received the departed souls of his own into heavenly paradise. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For thankful hearts, as we in these days recall with gratitude all those soldiers, those veterans, who have served their country and its citizens in her wars and in times of peace, in order to protect and defend the freedoms we are here privileged to enjoy. We pray particularly today for our nation's soldiers at Fort Hood in Texas, that though shaken by the tragic murders of this past week, they might find their solid ground upon the promises of Christ shared with them and that the one who carried out the crime might turn to Christ, seeking promised forgiveness for what he's done. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For grateful hearts, as we would celebrate God's blessings in our lives, particularly we give thanks with Marilyn Brewer and her family as she this week celebrates her 75th birthday. We pray that God would turn our attention toward his mercies in all seasons of our life. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. O Lord God, Heavenly Father, we here remember the sufferings and death of your Son, Jesus Christ, for our salvation. Praising his victorious resurrection from the dead, we draw strength from his ascension before you, where he ever stands for us as our own high priest. Because of him, graciously receive our prayers, deliver and preserve us. For to you alone we give all glory, honor, and worship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses 
as we forgive those who trespass against us. And deliver us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and Merciful God, we have again worshipped in your presence and received both the forgiveness of our many sins and the assurance of your love in Christ Jesus. We thank you for this undeserved grace and ask you to keep us in the faith until with all your saints we inherit the fullness of our eternal salvation. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Receive now the benediction of our Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. <laughs>